lecture is taken from the graduate course Introduction to Charitable Planning at Texas Tech University. To download the PowerPoint slides for this lecture, or to take the online quiz for this lecture, or to find out more about the Graduate Certificate in Charitable Financial Planning at Texas Tech University, go to EncourageGenerosity.com. about this concept of, uh, of valuing uh, charitable gifts of property and, uh, and we care about valuing them because we care about how much they, no, we care about how much uh, we can deduct. Hang on a second, I'm going to see which button, no, no, there we go. So I can't go back, but I can go forward. All right, okay. So how much deduction can we get from uh, different kinds of gifts of property? Uh, obviously, for giving cash, this isn't a concern. Cash requires no valuation, and so we don't have the problem. The only, problem, the only time the problem comes up is if we're giving property uh, to a, a charitable organization. Uh, when we're giving something that is, that is property, that is a thing rather than just cash or writing a check, uh, it can get more complex in terms of what's it worth? How much, should we, uh, how much should we be able to deduct? Uh, there are three uh, major, most common valuation options. Uh, there's a few exceptions other than this, but basically things fit into one of three categories. If we have an item of property being given to a charity, that item is going to be valued at either current fair market value, just current value, the cost basis, if that cost basis is lower than current value or nothing. Okay? Those are the three most common valuations for property given to charity. So, cost basis. What do we mean by cost basis? Well, basically what we mean is what you paid for it. Now, the only time that we don't mean what, we, what you paid for it is if you buy something that you're taking tax deductions on for depreciation. So if you buy uh, a piece of real estate that you are taking deductions on for depreciation uh, each year saying that it's getting less and less valuable, you've already deducted part of that property, so you can't deduct it twice. And because you can't deduct it twice, it means when we talk about cost basis, we mean what you paid for it, less any depreciation deductions that you've already taken. Now that doesn't apply to all forms of property, but in case it comes up, you need to know that uh, your depreciation, anything that you've uh, taken a depreciation deduction for, you can't deduct it again because you'd be deducting the same thing twice. Uh, same thing with uh, fair market value. What does that mean? It's just its value, how much it's worth. Okay? How, how much could you sell it for? How much is it worth right now? Uh, but it's also uh, subtracting any depreciation deductions that you've already taken. And again, there's only some kinds of items that you depreciate, but uh, if you have taken a depreciation deduction, uh, you have to reduce the fair market value by, by that deduction. Otherwise, you would be deducting the same thing twice, and we don't allow that. Okay? So, this is the basic question. Uh, for uh, 95, 98% of all property gifts, the question we want to know is which of these three valuation approaches applies? Is it going to be valued uh, for tax deduction purposes? Are we going to be able to deduct nothing? Are we going to be able to deduct its current value? Or are we going to be able to deduct, deduct only what we paid for it, its cost basis, uh, assuming that's lower than uh, current value? Okay. So let's kind of walk through uh, the basic framework uh, as to how this, uh, how this might uh, happen. If you have something that is ordinary income, and we looked at that last week, examples would be a short-term capital gain, meaning something that you uh, bought and sold within, uh, within 12 months, uh, something that's uh, inventory uh, in a business you're running, uh, something that you create yourself, and if you sold it, would create normal income for you. All of those things are uh, treated as ordinary income, and all of those things are valued at the cost basis. Uh, now, with long-term capital gain, something that you've, you've owned for more than a year that has gone up in value, for long-term capital gain, there are often cases where we can uh, deduct the full uh, fair market value, the current value of the, uh, of the capital gain of, of the property. 
We can do that unless one of these three things uh, tells us we can't. If we give it to a private foundation, then we can't do that. We cannot deduct fair market value of long-term capital gain if we give it to a private foundation. Uh, this only applies when we're giving it to a public charity. But there is an exception we'll talk about a little bit later, call an exception for what's called qualified stock, where we can still do that uh, even, if it's a, even if it's a private foundation. Another reason why we might not be able to deduct fair market value, and we'll run through some examples of this. So I'm going to give you the whole big picture, and then we'll walk through some examples. Another reason that we might not be able to deduct the fair market value was something we talked about last week, which was this special election, which says if you want to take this 50% income limitation for long-term capital gain, you're giving up uh, the ability to deduct fair market value. Uh, in exchange for having that 50% limitation instead of the 30% limitation from last week, you have to uh, drop down to cost basis. And that's a trade-off that you make. Uh, it would be rare that you would make that, but there are cases where you could do that. And then the final reason that we may have long-term capital gain that we don't get to deduct fair market value out of is if we have unrelated use tangible personal property. That is something you can physically hold and touch and move around that the charity is not going to use. You're going to give it to them. They're just going to sell it at a benefit auction or something like that. They're not going to use the item itself. <clears throat> With those three reasons, uh, your long-term capital gain uh, may not, you, you would not be able to value that at its fair market value. You have to drop down here to cost basis. And when I talk about dropping down to what you paid for at your cost basis, it's always dropping down. I mean, if you had something you paid more for it than it's worth now, uh, you, you take the lower of fair market value or cost basis. Uh, and so that's why it sort of um, looks that way of dropping down. Okay, let's take an example. Let's start out with something straightforward. In 1990, we paid a dollar for the share of Microsoft. Today, it is worth $25, and we give it to the Salvation Army, a public charity. Uh, what is the value of that gift? How much can we deduct uh, from that transfer? Well, first, which kind of thing is it? Is it long-term capital gain or ordinary income? Well, we bought it in 1990 uh, and we're selling it today. That's certainly more than a year, so it's long-term. Uh, it has gone up in value, so long-term capital gain. So we're up here. This is not ordinary income. This is long-term capital gain property. So we know we've got long-term capital gain. That means normally we'll be able to deduct fair market value, $25, unless <clears throat> any of these exceptions apply. In this case, none of those exceptions apply. We're not giving it to a private foundation. We didn't make any special election. And this is not tangible personal property. It's not something you pick up and move. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's intangible. Another example. Uh, this is uh, land. Uh, in 1990, you bought it for $600 an acre. Its current value is $1,800 an acre. You decide that you want to give your farm to the Gates Foundation uh, to help them out with their uh, um, uh, work on uh, getting rid of uh, global diseases and that sort of thing. So what is the value of this property? Well, again, it starts out with, are we talking ordinary income or long-term capital gain? Bought it in 1990. Obviously, that's long-term. It's more than a year. Uh, and so we've got long-term capital gain. The rule with long-term capital gain is that we get to price it at fair market value unless one of the exemptions apply, one of the exceptions apply, and in this case, one of them does apply. We're giving it to a private foundation, a non-operating private foundation. So in this case, uh, we uh, uh, do have one of the exceptions that applies, and because it applies, we would be able to deduct cost basis. So that means if we gave this land that's worth $1,800 an acre to the Gates Foundation, we would be able to deduct $600 an acre. Now, where, where does the 30% uh, versus 50% piece come in? The 30% versus 50% piece comes in uh, if we have a... Come here. 
There we go. If we have this scenario, uh, and in this scenario we are giving long-term capital gain uh, that, uh, that we can choose to take the fair market value deduction on. Okay, if we can choose to take the fair market value deduction on, the reason we can choose that is because it's going to a, to a public charity. We could take that gift and say, you know, I'm not going to take the fair market value deduction. I'm going to take the special election, and the special election means I'm only going to deduct a dollar a share, not $25 a share. I'm only going to deduct a dollar a share so that um, I can give, uh, I can deduct up to 50% of my income rather than up to 30% of my income. So if we, if we just, if we want to take current value, then we're going to get a 30% of our AGI on that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if you uh, decided, I'm sorry, if you, uh, this doesn't go backwards. If you decided on this uh, to take the special election, then you would get here and you would say, I think I'm going to take the special election. If you say, I think I'm going to take the special election for this property, then you're going to drop down here. And you're only going to take cost basis, which in this case is a dollar. So all property is 30% unless it's special election. Well, the special election applies uh, just to uh, the uh, long-term capital gain property that's going to, uh, to a public charity. So that, that's the only time you would use that special election. You can't use a special election, for example, for like a 20% property, which is a long-term capital gain going to a private foundation. Um, it's, it's only for this long-term capital gain going to a public charity, which is 30% uh, property. Okay. Right. okay, so getting back to that example, uh, again, this was long-term capital gain. We've held it for more than a year, uh, and it's uh, gone up in value, which normally gives us fair market value, but we gave it to a private foundation, so guess what? It drops down to cost basis. We only get to deduct $600 an acre rather than $1,800 an acre on the, the, the valuation here. Okay. Um, should I talk some about why that is? Why is that? Well, this isn't really, this isn't something that would be quizzed, but, but think about why, why would we have rules that, that are like this? Well, Part of the idea here, I think, is there is a, th this is a less favored thing to do because um, it's like if I'm taking this, this, this property that is hard to value anyway, and I'm letting you donor, I'm letting you value how much it's worth for your deduction, and I let you get out of paying capital gains tax. And, oh, by the way, I let you give it to your own foundation that you set up. I, I don't really, you know, nor normally you don't give somebody else's foundation. You give it to your own foundation. You know, then maybe I don't want to tax advantage that as much as if you just gave it to, you know, a real charity. I think that's part of the reason behind why, why this sort of functions that way. Okay, let's take another example. Uh, this is back to our toy car. And uh, this uh, toy car, six weeks ago, we paid a dollar for it. Its current value is $25. And we want to, yeah, no, I got it on eBay. It was a good deal. Um, we want to give it to the uh, uh, Mint Museum of Toys. It is a charity, and they're going to display the toy in their collection. So they're not going to sell it. They, they think it's impressive as well. Okay, so what are we dealing with here? Are we dealing with long-term capital gain or ordinary income, specifically short-term capital gain. Well, it's definition of it's less than a year, so it's not long-term. Six weeks ago we bought it. It's short-term capital gain. We've held it less than a year. It's therefore ordinary income. So what do we get to deduct? The $1 we paid six weeks ago, not its current value of $25. Okay? Now it turns out that the fact, in this case, the fact that the charity was using it, displaying it, it doesn't mean anything because it's ordinary income because I haven't held it long enough, so I only get to deduct cost basis regardless because it's not, I haven't held it long. I ha I'm not up into this high-level uh, value. I didn't get up there because um, it's short-term capital gain because I didn't hold it long enough. Okay. Uh, well, let's change it slightly. 
Now let's say I paid a dollar, but it wasn't six weeks ago I paid a dollar, it was in 1990 that I paid a dollar. Now how does that change things? Well, it changes things because we start out with the first question, is this ordinary income stuff or long-term capital gain? Now we're into the long term. We've held it for over a year, and so we're up here. And uh, what does that mean? It means we get to deduct fair market value unless, unless one of the exceptions applies. None of these exceptions apply. Why? Uh, were we giving it to a private foundation? No, this is a public charity. Okay? Uh, special election, uh, uh, we're, not, uh, we're not doing that. Unrelated use, tangible personal property. No, I said the charity displays the toy in their collection, so it is related use. They're using it. So in that case, uh, we get to deduct fair market value. Okay? Yeah. So how does uh, how on your Schedule A would you verify that you got it in 1990? How on your Schedule A would you verify that you got it in 1990? Rather than six weeks ago. In other words, if I was the six weeks ago guy, I would just say I got it in 1990. Well, you know, I don't. Um, so two questions on verification there. I'm not sure if on the form they're, they're asking when it was acquired. However, if you do deduct this amount and you are then audited, then you would have to provide proof that you had held it for more than a year. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not thinking on the form itself that, um, that, that it has that question. It's just that you have to have held it more than a year to be able to, to deduct that much. So if you deduct that much, you've got to be able to prove that you held it for more than a year, if that makes sense. Okay, so then this brings up this kind of tricky question. The reason that we get to deduct fair market value is because, uh, going back to this idea, because this is not unrelated use tangible personal property. Right? If the charity which is taking it to sell it, unrelated use tangible personal property, we drop down here. Okay? Let's suppose I give it to the charity. The charity displays the toy in the collection. <clears throat> For a day, and then they sell it. Um, how do we deal with that? Well, there is actually a recapture rule, and the idea here is that the IRS wants to make sure that if you're taking this full deduction, that the charity is really honest to goodness using the thing. Because if they're not using it, if they're just selling it, then you don't get to deduct fair market value. You only get to deduct what you paid for it. Okay? So what they have is this idea that says if the charity turns around and sells something within three years, we're suspicious. Okay? You said you were giving it to the charity because they wanted to use it. But then after you took your deduction, it turned out they turned around and sold it. So what do we do about that suspicion? Well, the rule is, if a donor takes a related use deduction, that is this fair market value deduction, claiming it's a related use, and the charity sells it within three years, and if we're talking about something that's more than five grand, because if it's not more than five grand, the IRS like, we don't want to fool with that. You know, that's not big enough tax fraud for us to really worry about. <coughs> what we need from the charity, <coughs> excuse me, is that the charity has got to certify that they actually did make substantial use of it before they sold it, or something weird happened and the intended use became impossible. Uh, otherwise, the IRS is going to come back in and say, we don't believe that it was going to be used by the charity, and so um, we're only going to let you deduct this cost basis part of it. Now, for a charity to do that, they actually have to sign under penalty of perjury, and there's a $10,000 fine if they uh, were, were lying about it. But it's basically the IRS saying for big dollar items, a lot of these big dollar items are artwork, things like that, that you know, could be really big dollar items. If that charity happens to sell it in the first three years, we're suspicious, and we are going to require that the, char that the charity certifies that they really did uh, uh, use it in, uh, in a substantial sense for related use. Otherwise, we're going to take that deduction back. Okay? So that's sort of the, the trade-off. So if, if 
the uh, donor had given them uh, <coughs> just that donation in cash. Mm -hmm. Let's say they gave them a $10,000 donation in cash. Mm -hmm. the, they'd be able to take the, I mean, the $10,000, right? Yeah, the, the sure. Deduction. Right, it's not property then, straightforward. So, so if the painting is worth $10,000, uh -huh. and then they sell it for $10,000, uh -huh. but it was bought for five, the donor only gets to take a five, $5,000, they're recaptured uh -huh. at five. Uh -huh. okay. Right. So... Uh, doesn't make, I mean, why? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so you always compare these property transactions to, why don't you sell the thing and then give the cash to the charity? I mean, that's always your comparison basis. And here, so let's take, you know, say this was thousands of dollars, okay? What's the big advantage of giving them the thing as opposed to just selling the thing and giving them the cash? The big advantage is if I sell this thing, then I've got to pay capital gains tax on, on this, this difference. That's the big advantage that I'm trying to, to get. See, the big carrot in this whole thing is for me to be able to get the deduction for this full value and pay no capital gains tax on it. In fact, in this case, let's say this was a thousand and twenty-five thousand. You know, just to make the numbers a little bit bigger, I could actually wind up where I get something that's very valuable. Maybe it's you know easily could be worth ten grand to me. Okay, I get a some I get a tax benefit worth ten grand. I only invested one thousand dollars, and I don't pay any capital gains tax on that benefit. And so that's sort of the that's sort of the um, the, the, uh, the big prize in, in charitable planning is to be able to... The cost basis is totally low, and, yes. and on top of that, you get, it's almost like you've made money on the, on the gift. Yes. Because you get a tax deduction that's worth more than you actually paid for the item. The Absolutely. Year. Right. Yeah. Can I give a real-world Sure. Um, the Bridge of Lubbock is in an old elementary school in East Lubbock. And for the first five years, the school district leased it to us. They then said we want it off our books, and they put it under sealed bid. A gentleman in town bought that elementary school building that's 50 years old for $42,000. He then came in and had it appraised. And it's somewhere between three and four hundred thousand dollars is what the commercial appraisal came back for. So he held it for two years, turned around, gifted the building to us at the bridge, and he gets that tax benefit of giving the three to four hundred thousand. Now it happened at Breedlove too, and the IRS came in and audited that. So there's a potential that that they might come in and look at that, but that's an example of so, where the tax So he was able to get like 30% on 300,000 as opposed to 30%. And carry it forward. As I mean, opposed to 30% on just 42,000. And avoid the cap. And avoid your As long as you guys don't sell it for three years. Well, yeah, <laughs> but we wanted it to begin with, so yeah. But that's an example of how that but, works. But the three years is just for tangible personal property. Right. Not real. Mm -hmm. Not real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's another tax law that you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So he did this, even this donor would have actually made out better than he actually made money on this deal, probably. I mean, 30% well, of 300000 is what, 90000 bucks, and he only paid, paid 42 for it. So he's ahead 50 grand. In the whole deal, of course he's behind. If you want, I mean, he could have sold it to somebody else and made three hundred thousand. But he had a, he, he really wanted us to end up. Well, I know. I'm just, I'm just kind of looking at this from the. Well, and you know, and th this is, um, in theory, you always make more money by selling it than by giving it, right? right. Yeah. But even having said that, in this transaction. The IRS is financing a massive part of this transaction because they're not just giving you the tax deduction for something you're, you're transferring. They're also saying you don't have to pay any of this capital gains tax, so it's a double benefit. 
And so that's why we start putting all these special rules in place. The IRS gets nervous, especially about <coughs> tangible personal property because it's harder to value sometimes. Especially, you know, we're talking artwork, we're talking stuff that, you know, what's this really worth? And, and, and so there's more potential for abuse. Uh, at the uh, for the federal, uh huh. Okay, and the short term capital gains tax, what's that? 1525. Um, I, your ordinary income, right? Yeah. Oh, it's your, that's yeah. right, it's your ordinary yeah. income. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that's. Mm, that's a good question. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So that's the uh, that's the general um, uh, uh, concept there, and there is this recapture idea. Okay, so let's take the other example. Let's suppose that the charity sells the toy at an annual benefit auction. I give them this toy, and what do they do? They don't use it in their collection. They sell it. Now what happens? Well, let's go through the process again. Is this ordinary income or long-term capital gain property? Ordinary income property, long-term capital gain property. Say it's long-term capital gain property because I've held it for a long time. It means I normally get to declare fair market value unless one of these exceptions apply. And this is the exception that applies. Unrelated use. That means they didn't use it. They sold it. They got rid of it. That's not used in their charitable uh, functioning. <coughs> so I only get to deduct my $1 rather than my $25. Okay. Um, there is an exception that we haven't talked about. And that is, long-term capital gain is fair market value unless it goes to a private foundation except qualified stock. What's this mean? <coughs> qualified stock means something traded on the stock market and you're not given more than 10% of the company to uh, the foundation. And the counts gifts by you or any other family members. Okay, um, That qualified stock exception... And let me run through an example, and then I'll talk about maybe why the policy is that way. That's an exception to the exception. Right. So let's walk through this. I own, not Bill Gates, but I own um, 10,000 shares of Microsoft. I paid a dollar a share for it. I'm inspired by what he's doing with his foundation. So I'm going to give those shares of Microsoft to uh, the Gates Foundation. This is me giving, not Bill giving. So this is long-term capital gain. I've held it since 1990. That means I get to declare fair market value unless I'm giving it to a private foundation. But we've got this except qualified stock. In this case, it is traded on the open market. I'm Obviously, that's less than 10% of the whole company. Uh, and so because it's qualified stock, I get to go back up here and get the full fair market value for it. So why do I think that this policy is this way? Well, here's what I think. I think that the IRS isn't really keen on this idea of you having some property that you get to say how much it's worth. And not only do you get to say how much it's worth, but then you take a tax deduction when you transfer it into your own foundation that you created and you essentially still control uh, what, is, what is in there. I mean, that's fine if you want to do that, but boy, it isn't really something I want to let you get, you know, get both the full deduction and no capital gains tax on because you're controlling everything. I mean, it's hard to value. You're telling me how much it's worth and you're just transferring it from this pot to that pot. And I mean, that's fine, but I want to give you a huge amount of tax benefits for doing that. So I think that's the general reason why shipping stuff to a private foundation in general doesn't get you the full uh, fair market value tax deduction along with not having to pay capital gains tax. And the reason I think this is an exception is, 
okay, this is kind of pretty close to cash, okay? It's traded on the open market. We know how much it's worth. You can't do any funny business with it. It's not like you're transferring, you know, your own privately held company that you can value kind of what it's worth or you can get the right valuers or appraisers. All. I mean, it's pretty close to cash. So we're going to do this kind of, a, of an exception. Uh, having said that, we still don't want somebody to get really cute and have their own family business and say, well, let's just make sure that we issue some stocks that are traded on a stock exchange regularly just so we can get a valuation, and then I'll transfer the whole you know, 80% ownership interest in here and kind of do an end around. So that's why they say you can't be transferring more than 10% of the whole value of the thing um, because then it, then it feels more like an insider deal. That's kind of why I think this rule is there. Okay, that's the general concept. We have a variety of exceptions uh, for special assets, special asset rules. Um, looks like a good place to take a break. We'll take a break here and we'll come back and look at special asset rules in 10 minutes. Okay, let's go ahead and jump back into these things here. All right, so what we've talked about up to this point, that's the general idea. That's usually how most everything works is we go through that process of uh, saying which kind of property is it, uh, and uh, in particular, we, we go through this um, thing that we just saw here, uh, which is, uh, we, I was trying to get a clean version of it, um, which I guess I don't have until the very beginning, but the basic idea is we go through that process of saying was a long-term capital gain or do we treat it as ordinary income? And then we go through this process to see if any of the exceptions apply that would cause us to drop down. That's how it works for most all property gifts. However, we've got some special rules for some special kinds of assets. Assets like clothing or household items, a car, a boat, an airplane, taxidermy of all things, inventory from your business, a patent or other intellectual property. Why? Is this just Lawyers Full Employment Act? We like to make up rules to make up rules. What is the deal with having not only our general concept, but now all these special rules for this stuff? <clears throat> Why are there so many asset rules? It's basically these are areas that have led to particular abuses. Um, on the edge of tax fraud, that eventually the IRS gets tired of it and they um, uh, request legislation and Congress passes special legislation just to stamp out this particular kind of abuse. And that's why we have a general principle and then we have all these sort of tiny exceptions. This is a legislative response to people abusing the system for the most part. Okay? So, why might there be abuses to the system? Um, well, with a potential income tax deduction worth nearly, potentially, almost as much as half of a gift's value, and here, for example, Oregon has 11% state tax, you can take your 35% federal rate, so 46%. If you're giving something that's worth almost half of the value that you put on an item that you give. If you're giving an item of property that has kind of, uh, how do we value this, I don't know. If you're giving something with uncertain valuation, it creates opportunities for abuse. Because if it's hard to figure out what the value is, if I can put a value on it that's two or three times what I could really get for it if I had to sell it right now, all of a sudden, I make more of a profit by giving it away than I do by trying to sell it immediately. And these assets sometimes have uh, been areas of potential abuse. So what are we talking about here? Oh, well, for example, old clothes, you know? Don't throw away those old clothes. Give them away, and then you can deduct it. Brilliant strategy here. You couldn't sell those things if you had to. But if you give them away, now we've got some cash value out of them. <clears throat> oh, of course that is worth book value. Uh, the charity's going to say it's worth book value. Uh, just got to donate it. 
and then I'll deduct my book value of my, uh, my lovely vehicle and uh, uh, make a lot more money than if I had to sell it on the open market. Uh, and here's one that was popular a few years ago. Uh, it was even uh, advertised, part of the scheme was advertised as hunt for free. The idea was that you donate the stuffed animal that you're going to go hunt on safari to a natural history museum and you take the charitable tax deduction for all the equipment and travel. See, it's this really cool idea that says related use, well, they're going to put it in their natural history museum, right? So related use means I can, I can deduct, uh, I can take fair market value or I can take basis and if I get an appraiser, Turns out there's not that many people that know how to appraise, you know, a, a stuffed cheetah or something like that. And so it turns out if those people who know how to appraise it give very high appraisals, then they are actually can make a business out of appraising it, which if they gave very low appraisals, then they couldn't make a business out of appraising it. And so the idea was you could come in and you could say, well... My cost basis in this thing, I mean, I had to take a trip to Africa, I had to stay there for like three weeks, I had to buy all this hunting equipment, I had to eat all this food while I was there, and then, you know, finally shot the cheetah itself, and there, whatever the animal was, and then, um, and then had it stuffed, and then, you know, brought it back, uh, tried to put it in carry-on, or, you know, whatever it is, and got it back here, and so that's all part of my cost basis, and plus I've got this fair market valuation that says, you know, Getting a stuffed cheetah, that's really high value stuff, okay? Um, there was actually an organization that advertised Hunt for Free uh, by using this. And I want to show you a, a particularly interesting um, uh, photograph. This is from the Wyobraska Wildlife Museum in Garing, Nebraska. Now, Garing, Nebraska is a population of 7,751 people, okay? Um, this was a shot of one of their... Uh, sort of rooms, there was also four train cars storing another 800 animals each, okay? So it's the idea that I've got an actual charity that says, you know, we are displaying these things and so we will accept your donation and we will put it on, we will use it, related use, so you can take your full deduction for um, all these, uh, these uh, critters, okay? Another example, uh, and this is a few years ago, that then led Congress to say, we're going to have a special rule on taxidermy. Um, some other things are just complicated. Like, what do you do with this? Somebody says, I give you, Charity, the copyright to my novel that I've just finished. It is certain to be a bestseller. So I'm going to take a big tax deduction because this is a very valuable thing, this copyright to the novel. Well, I mean, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with... Because it's probably not worth anything, but it could be worth a massive amount of money. So how do you value that? How do you deal with that? So we've got to pass special rules for that. Okay, so let's look at these special asset rules. That's why we have to have them. What are uh, the different uh, special asset rules? <clears throat> let's start with clothing and household items. Of course, the concept here, you get these, this old junk. Don't throw it away. Don't put it in the in the garbage, donate it, and then you can have a very valuable tax deduction. So, the rule is this. You get no deduction for any clothing and household items unless it is in good, used condition, or better. Okay? So, for what, whatever that happens to mean, it's got to be at least good shape or better, or you, it's, it's, your deduction is zero dollars. Okay? The only time when... You could give something that's not in good use condition or, or better is if you're actually giving a massive amount of it. Uh, and uh, there are cases where, you know, you could give, um, you know, bales of old clothing uh, that, you know, that several, you know, we're talking these massive sort of, of containers of them. If you get a valuation from a qualified appraisal that says all this stuff put together is worth more than $500, Okay, then fine. In that case, we'll allow you to deduct uh, household items or clothing that's, that's not in you know, good or excellent condition. But normally, got to be in good or excellent condition or the deduction is zero. Uh, and then when you go to value it, you, you, you don't value it based on what you paid for it. You value it based on you know, what does it sell in, uh, for in secondhand shops. Uh, qualified appraisal for old clothing. 
Can we find a cheat appraisal guy? Um, well, there's actually is a market for like wholesale massive quantities of, of used clothing. A lot of the market is actually international market that if you, you can sell these sort of industrial size bales of clothing um, that uh, ships to, to places that are not as, you know, fashion conscious maybe as, as uh, uh, well, and, if, and actually a lot of times if you go to third world countries, you'll see them wearing stuff that is that was um, that was at one point was popular in the US. I almost said made in the US, but of course we don't actually make clothing in here. Uh, but uh, you know and, and that's sort of the life cycle that it goes through. Uh, but it's not just clothing. It is um, furniture, electronics, appliances, linens, all this kinds of household stuff that's all included in this rule. Okay? So if you're trying to you know donate a refrigerator or a lawn chair or a, a you know a, a, a blender or a fan or whatever if it's not in good or excellent condition your deduction is zero right and uh, then beyond that if it, it, it the only time that you could get a deduction for something that's not in good or excellent condition is if um, you're you're transferring something worth more than five hundred dollars uh, we're not talking about food art antiques jewelry or collections which are found inside a house but they're not considered household items so we're talking about these kinds of things, not these kinds of things. Okay. You can still give jewelry even if it's not in good or excellent condition. Okay, So that's the first uh, exception, special rule. Uh, let's talk about cars. This is a problem. Uh, donors deducting blue book value, but the charity sells it for much less. And this was a real um, problem where you'd have people that would just, you know, it's a lot of hassle to sell a car. It may have some problems. It's... So you just give it to the charity. They're happy to take it. They sell it at an auction. They'll get something out of it. So the charity's happy. You're happy because you take a deduction for, for, um, uh, for approximately the blue book value. So uh, this, is, uh, this is the answer to it. The answer is if the charity sells your car, you get to deduct what they got for it. Okay? Pretty reasonable rule. That is the rule. So you have a car. Current value is $6,000. You paid $5,000 for it in 1990. Charity ships it off to an auction or maybe sells it themselves at an auction. They only get three grand out of it. Now notice in this case, the actual real value is $6,000. What can you deduct? You can deduct $3,000. That's all the charity got out of it. Maybe they didn't do a very good job selling it. Maybe they, you know, sold it at a, uh, at a charity benefit auction that only three people showed up for. No, too bad, we don't care. You, you, you can't get any more than the charity actually got for it in cash. Okay? <clears throat> That's your deduction. I, I, remember, <coughs> I remember one time in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, they were advertising all the time, and I had a car that I had bought for, I, I'd gotten it for 500 it was a rip-off for 500 <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it sat in our driveway for about, you know, six months, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. I called a charity, they came and they picked it up on a trailer, you know, they, and, they, and they carted it away, and I was gone while they did it, but they gave my wife a, um, a valuation of $5,400, uh-huh. you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, uh, I guess I could talk the statute of limitations as fast. <laughs> I didn't take 5400 on the deduction, but I took something more than I should have. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they didn't get 50 bucks for it. And, and that, that does point out something, something else that's sort of a related point, that um, charities that accept um, you know, all kinds of gifts like this, they're often in the practice of saying, oh, you want a receipt? And they'll write down a dollar, I mean, $500 or whatever. What is the legal effect of the dollar amount that they wrote down? And the answer is jack. It doesn't mean anything. They're not a qualified appraiser, and they could write down $7 million or, or $0.07. Cents. It doesn't matter. That's not an appraisal, and they're not appraisers. But they get in the habit of doing it because people want that. And so, well, sure, okay, yeah, you know, how much? What's, what's this? Okay, there you go. So the, it's, it's something they do. It makes people happy. People think it has some relationship to their taxes. It has absolutely no relationship to your taxes. Um, uh, that, you know, if you, if you are trying to defend that, it's not an appraisal. And so it doesn't have any value. But if you're a charity... You know, you're sort of in this situation of, well, do we want to be obnoxious to people and say, well, we're not a, you know, hey, we can't. 
there's no, there's no liability for them. They're not appraisers. They're not holding themselves out to be appraisers, so they just do it. And um, uh, people uh, treat it in ways that it shouldn't be treated until they get audited. Since this rule came into effect, we actually had a car come into the bridge, and we sold it for $25,000. There's actually an IRS form that, as executive director at that time, I had to sign off mm-hmm. on and prove for the donor to include with his income tax mm-hmm. return to prove that we had sold it for $25,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is correct. Yes. Okay. Yes, I wanted to know how how does a donor know how much the charity got for it? That's the answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The charity has to fill out the form yeah. that, that goes to the IRS that says how much they sold it for. Yeah. That's that's an exact example of what what I kept mentioning earlier. Is it would be really cool if we had a slide next that showed that form, so we could see that and answer in real life. Why? I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, just just to see it in real life, how that really occurs. I'm always okay. wanting to know how it really occurs in real life. It doesn't change that I understand how this mm-hmm. exception works. It just it helps you. It just mm-hmm. lets me know where on a tax form because. I think if I did that, I would need to do it in a paper format, not in a PowerPoint format. Because if I put tax forms on a PowerPoint, one doesn't look any different from the other because they're all this, this, this much font. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, th- I think I would actually need to um, like print out some copies of the forms. And then like I might on the slide, you know, just mention form number such and such. And then you could kind of look at it to get the sort of sensory feel of that. And the reason I'm hesitating is that putting a form on there doesn't work. Right. I mean, because the font's the wrong font. So I'm just thinking through that. Okay, thanks. Didn't mean to jump back on you on that. I'm just <laughs> curious. I'm like, okay. Um, all right. Uh, this rule applies to any car, boat, or plane where you're taking a deduction of more than $500. So. Um, if you don't like this rule, then uh, you know give cars that are worth less than five hundred dollars. Then the IRS like, oh, whatever. Uh, okay, uh, you can use normal gift valuation if the charity certifies we're not going to sell it, we're going to use it. Okay, but you can't just um, uh, write that on your tax uh, tax form and say, oh, well, they told me that. No. We don't trust anybody anymore because it's been too much uh, cheating for too long. You can use the standard gift valuation rules if the charity certifies on this form. Sorry, I didn't bring a copy of it with you, but uh, these are just numbers, so it doesn't really help you out there. Uh, On this form that the charity is certifying, they're going to either use the vehicle or they're going to not sell it but give it to a needy person. So you mean fair market value? Well, I mean normal gift valuation, and what I mean by normal gift valuation is um, this thing here. So, I can't say fair market value because what if you only owned it for six months? Um, Because if you only owned it for six months and it's ordinary income, maybe you got a really good deal on it and it's worth more than you bought it, um, you don't get fair market value because it's not long-term capital gain. So that's why I just said the ordinary rules. Which is the which is this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, we get through that. There. All right. Now we're back to okay. We're done with cars now. Uh, now let's get back to the poor animals. Um, the train cars themselves were all in storage, and what they, what they would do was they would um, hold it for the required minimum period of time, and then they would sell it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it is, an actual, it is an actual existing museum. You know, I mean, you, can, you see how these things work. You find, here's a natural history museum in a town of 7,000 people. Would you guys work with us on this? And, you know, the, the one person who made a ton of money, there was one guy who was an appraiser out of Florida, and he made a massive amount of money on this because he charged a lot for the appraisals, and, you know, and um, he, uh, he got out of that business, actually. Um, 
after this sort of blew up in the media. Yeah. I think this just shows like ethics, kind of like the principle of ethics everywhere. It applies everywhere in your life, you know? And this is just the one perfect example of something like that, where you got more dead animals than the number of people in the city. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... There, there are two proverbs to live by that I will give you, okay? One is a tax law proverb and one is an accounting proverb. The tax law proverb is pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. And what that means is that people that push things to the limit and are always doing just a little bit more, they do pretty well. The people that go way too far and do crazy stuff like this, those are the ones that the hammer comes down on and they wind up losing everything, you know, getting in jail, all that sort of thing, okay? Uh, the accounting proverb to live by is profit is opinion, cash is reality, okay? So th those are the two proverbs to live by, we'll, we'll tell you. And if you lived by that second one, you never would have invested in Enron, just decided to throw that out there. Profit is opinion, cash is reality, okay? Um, which, by the way, I got to see the play just before it closed in London this summer, the Enron play. They had, it ran for several years. And, uh, yeah, it was, and, I was, yeah, it was, you know, I was, uh, we were there all summer. I was there with, with uh, I was teaching a study abroad class. And my family went back like two days before I did. And I was there, and we were actually staying in the theater district. And so across the street was Enron, the play. And I'm like, I knew I couldn't go when they were there because I'd be like, I'm not going to go to this thing. So I thought I'd go check it out. And it was like in its last two weeks, it'd run for however many years. And I, you know, I was going in with low expectations um, because it's theater people doing, you know, accounting. <laughs> and uh, it was actually really good. Like they got the accounting right. They, they, they sort of, um, uh, they, uh, they created characters for these uh, uh, for these raptors, which was the name of these off uh, these off the book locations, they actually had physical like raptors, you know, walking around and you know getting hungry and eating things. But they kept the principles in there so that you actually got the right idea from things. And anyway, um, sorry, sort of an aside there. I think um, Jeff, I think it was the Jeff Skilling was originally um, worked in uh, in Kansas City, so I have that connection there. I'm originally from Kansas City. But back, back to the dead animals, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, this was the problem of deducting the cost of the whole hunting trip uh, when the animal was given uh, to the museum. Uh, and uh, so we had this situation. What's the solution? The solution is simply this. Uh, if you want to give your stuffed dead animal to the Natural History Museum, you're welcome to do that. You can deduct only the cost for the actual taxidermy process. No deductions for whatever valuation some valuer says it's worth. No deductions for your trip to go uh, hunt down and, uh, and, and shoot the poor thing. Uh, it is limited only to the cost of getting the thing stuffed and mounted. All right, and then finally this. How do we value intellectual property? I give you the copyright to my novel that I think will be a bestseller. How, how do we deal with that? You know, do you go out and get an appraiser that says, oh, this is a good novel. This will be definitely a bestseller. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is not strictly fraud. It's I don't know how to deal with this. So this is how we deal with it. We deal with it if uh, this way. If you're giving something that's a you know, patent, copyright, trademark, you can deduct your cost basis. Well, if it's a book you wrote, what's your cost basis? Probably nothing. Maybe some paper, maybe a, you know, time, a partial use of a computer, something like that. Pretty close to nothing because you're producing it yourself, right? Um, so you can deduct your cost basis assuming that it's less than whatever the fair market value would be. Plus, you can take a share of the next 12 years of income. So you get to take a share each year of what the charity actually um, sees in income from your, uh, from your copyright patent or trademark. So I think this is kind of a good compromise. Um, whatever you've got into it, uh, which might be more relevant for, say, a patent, um, actual expenditures that you had trying to get the patent, and then we'll give you a declining share of how much money the charity actually uh, makes so your deductions get spread out over time. So it's a special rule for intellectual property like that.
Is that is that just their the share of the income attributable to your donation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I almost hesitate as to whether or not we should even mention this, but I'll throw it out there because it is an exception. Uh, it is an exception that is only for C corporations. Now remember, C corporations are limited to 10% maximum of their net income that they can, that they can deduct giving away uh, to begin with. Um, but there are a couple of special rules that, for whatever reason, um, allow corporations to deduct a little bit more than basis for certain kinds of inventory. Now what was the regular rule for this? Well, if you remember, flip back up here real quick, the regular rule is, okay, here, inventory is ordinary income, ordinary income, we go, it's cost basis. Okay, that's the normal rule. We're going to make a couple of exceptions that say, we're going to give you a little bit more than cost basis. For, the, for corporations, not individuals, not as corporations, not partnerships, but standard C corporations. For corporations, certain special kinds of inventory, we're going to let you deduct a little bit more than cost basis. And the little bit more is defined as normally, well, let's just go back down to it, is, oops, is defined as, we're just about done here, there, is defined as the average, uh, or I defined it as because it's a simpler way to think of it, as the average of basis and fair market value. So if you've got an item of inventory that costs you $100 to make and it sells for $200, this is a rule that says for these special things, if you're a C corporation, we'll let you deduct not the 100 that it costs you to make it, not the 200 it's worth, but we'll let you deduct um, halfway in between those two numbers. Don't ask me why they did that, but they did that. Uh, and, and so what are the special exceptions? If you give uh, inventory to a public charity for the care of ill, needy, or infants, uh, or if you give qualified research property to a higher education or scientific institution, what is qualified research property? Uh, we're talking about actual hard sciences instruments, things like that. Okay? Um, and it's there. Um, I, I can't really connect it in real well with lots of theories and reasons. It's just kind of a, one of those where the valuation is off a little bit. And, and it's that, that special exception. I hesitate to put it in there just because the likelihood that this is going to connect in with a, with a financial planning context is, um, up, is uh, rapidly approaches zero. Is this, do you think that's a result more of lobbying? Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, okay, a few other things, and this isn't special rules, this is just um, how do you come up with fair market value? You get to deduct fair market value, but what is fair market value? Well, there's a couple of cases where, you know, you need to keep in mind that the IRS says, well, if you're going to figure out what fair market value is, this is how you do it. They indicate that for used cars, you're looking at private party value. Um, so if you're looking up one of those used car guides, you're not looking at what the dealer sells it for. You don't get to deduct that. It's private party sale. Um, for boats, they say can't even use books or anything like that. You've got to get an individual appraisal because the condition of the boat is so important that we're, if you don't have qualified appraisal, then we're not going to uh, let it use let you use it. Uh, if you're trying to value clo used clothing, it doesn't have anything to do with what you paid for it. Um, you have to compare it with consignment shops or thrift shops and how much things are sold for. And then the final uh, concept here, if you are, um, uh, if there's something that is a large quantity, uh, you have to value it as the whole quantity, not as the individual value times the number. In other words, you wouldn't want to have something where you say, um, you know, I bought a, uh, a uh, crate load of a thousand Beanie Babies. Uh, that retail for 10 bucks, and I bought them for $1.50 a piece because I bought a thousand of them. And then I took my thousand beanie babies and then I gave them to a charity that's going to use them for related use. So I've got an instant profit now because I only bought it for $1.50, but I can deduct it for 10. Uh, and the IRS would say, 
that's not the appropriate valuation. You can't use the individual valuation of $10 per Beanie Baby to value uh, your box of uh, a thousand of them that, that you're giving. Okay, so that's to, it, it's, it's to prevent abuse, but it's essentially just a reasonable way of saying how, uh, how you do the, the, uh, the valuation. Okay. 